Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Atlantic Bushcraft Adventures. Tonight it is episode 215, and we're talking about how to find the perfect camp spot. And for whatever reason, I stumbled over my words, but that is what we are talking about. Uh, and this was kind of your topic, Ben, and I like where you're going with it. I like your description. I copied it and put it in there. So tell us what we're going to be talking about in your own words, because I think you got a better, better knack for this stuff. Yeah, so... The gist of the conversation kind of was, what sub subject did we want to capture today? And I was thinking about it. I said, you know, I've been watching online people talking about going to uh, Kedji. And, you know, Kedji's a great park. We've talked about it a ton of times. But, like, booking for that thing took off. Apparently, it was a real struggle to get much. People that were there were, were saying they got on there. They were 2,000th in line. By the time they got there, they were, most of the good weekends and stuff were already shot. And I'm like, okay, so what happens when, the, you know, you don't have a park you can go to? You really want to get out there and exploring. And then what are the barriers? What prevents people from getting out? There's a ton of them, right? Like, when I started getting into this with the wife, I'd bring up a lot of spots. She said, well, where are we going to park the car? I don't feel comfortable leaving the car here. Or how do we get there? How do we get back? Or, what are we allowed to do? And there was a lot of questions. And I think these are the same questions a lot of our listeners will have. And a lot of them may even have good solutions. Because there is a bit of a crackdown in certain places of where you can camp and where you can't and how long you can stay. And it's, it can be confusing. And if it's confusing enough, you won't do it. Like if they make it too difficult... It's an easier solution to say, I just won't do it. I won't go camping. It's too difficult. And I think that's an unfortunate re reality. So this is to give you some hints of things you can do to familiarize yourself and come up with solutions to all your objections. And I let, and that's what I mean. I love this topic. And uh, happily, Danny has joined us here in the comments, Red Sand Adventures. Once again, if you haven't checked him out, Red Sand Adventures on YouTube. Uh, Danny has the uniqueness of being over on PEI where camping on Crown Land is even trickier than it is for you know us over here. So I'm hoping he'll chime in with some of the things he's figured out because we have talked to him a little earlier. Uh, but now I've seen that he is getting out. I've been watching you there, Danny. I've seen your fishing trips and whatnot. So hopefully you'll... Give us some of your insights and add uh, your little flavor into this conversation as well. But one of the things you said in your description, Ben, which I think is awesome because most people aren't looking at this, is the cost of fuel going up and the limited ranges on electric vehicles. That's a major limiting factor as well uh, when you're going going to go camping. And this is discouraging a lot of people because they want to be green. So they want to get a green vehicle, get electric, all good. But now if you take that camping, you're on the risk if you get too far in and it's not like you can call somebody to come bring you gas. So these are kind of interesting things that you were pointing out. And I'm really excited to hear what you have to say about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have to take into to all your limiting factors and figure out what can I do. And if I wanted to go absolute most limiting, I could picture, I would picture like somebody who lives without a vehicle. So say you live in Halifax or Vancouver or any city in between or even St. John's. Like if you live in a city in Canada, you want to go camping and you don't have a vehicle, you're down to two or three base solutions. One is Uber taxi and get them to drop you off somewhere. Believe it or not, not, not actually a, a horrible idea because now you don't have to worry about a vehicle being left there that maybe will get robbed. I'm hearing a lot of people at this way, but having Cadillac converters ripped off their cars if they, they're leaving them all for any time so you know getting someone to drop you off a friend a hired ride or whatever and there's there's been services like this for years um especially if you get in the parks and you need to go to one end today you can hire a company that will bring you from one point to the next and just drop you off um so that's an option you can camp from a bus in halifax i believe if you go to bears lake there is access to uh, some wilderness area right off, right from Bayer's Lake. Yeah, no, true point. And on this note, 
you and I both know somebody have actually had uh, interactions with an individual. They didn't have uh, a vehicle or not a vehicle in the true sense of what, you know, you think off when you say vehicle, not a car, not a truck. They had, uh, they had one of those motorized pedal bikes and stuff. But uh, anyway, this individual, um, they still get out in the woods all kinds of ways. And I, I kind of reached out to them, too, to hopefully see if uh, they were going to maybe drop by at some point on one of our episodes. But they have yet to get back to me, so I don't know if, you know, that's all been changed or whatnot. And you know who I'm talking about, Ben. But anyway, uh, the whole point of the story is it's very possible to get out there without a vehicle because um, they were in the woods almost every weekend and they had kids and the whole works. Yeah, you can do it. So don't think that, you know, it's easy to, to look at one thing and say, I can't go camping because, A, there's there's always a way to do it. I was on Facebook the other day and I seen somebody had posted that their 80-year-old grandmother wanted to go camping with them, and they were looking for some solutions to some of the issues they had. And one of them was they wanted a cot so she didn't have to go right to the ground. So they were looking for a sturdy cot that she would be able to use to sleep on and help her get up and down because that's getting a bit more difficult for this lady. So, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. So the very first thing I think we should point out is identify the rules and regulations in your local area and that's not all that hard to do you can go on to your your local government websites and look up these things uh crown use land things like that recreational use land and you will usually find so you know the rules wrote down they're pretty clear yeah and for most of the inland provinces um I mean, here in Canada anyway, and once again, as Ben said, very be very cautious and check your own local regulations. But for most of us here in Canada, Crown Land, you're allowed to stay on as long as you're not erecting any permanent or semi-permanent structures. You know what I mean? Uh, they say usually up to seven days, I think, or something like that. I'd have to check that one again. But that's generally how Crown Land works here. Now, there is exceptions, and that's where I was hinting at with Danny there. He's not allowed to go camping on Crown Land. And one of the comments he said there was so far for him, which is something we're going to talk about a little later, but just to mention it now, is he's been talking to friends or friends of friends or family or posting up on groups or whatever the case may be for people that have private lots that uh, they're willing to let somebody come in and do some camping. And the thing is with this kind of stuff, it, it you can find groups on Facebook, like uh, once again, and once you get chatting, somebody will be like, oh yeah, hey, you can sleep on the back 40, just, you know, don't take down any trees, don't leave a bunch of garbage, and generally once you get established as somebody that is, you know, decent, you know what I mean, I don't know how else to describe it except decent, not a hooligan, I guess, um, then people are actually pretty good to let you come and camp on their property, because they know you're not going to destroy anything, you're not going to burn down the woods while you're there, like, if you're a responsible person, generally that will follow you through the community as you are on these groups and forums and stuff like that. So it always goes back to the be kind when you're in the woods kind of deal. So especially if you're having a harder time getting in the woods and having all that free available woods around you with uh, crown land and stuff. And even with that, just be mindful of what you're doing. Uh, it, it, it makes everything better for all of us, honestly, down the road. I, I can't remember the name of the website. And, and so I won't mention it by name because I can't, but Years ago, I was talking to a guy who was motorcycle camping across Canada. And they had a, there was actually a website that repeat, people actually volunteer their driveways and even sometimes a room in their house for people doing that type of thing. And oftentimes it was the backyard or whatever. You, you can set up a tent. But there is, there is organizations, groups, um, forums, things like that you can look up. And that's, that's sort of a... a a good next thing is after you've looked up the official rules or regulations, look up local groups in the area you want to camp. And oftentimes these guys will give you other hints. They'll tell you where existing campsites are, ones that are re regularly used, and where you're less likely to be hassled. Because creating a whole new site oftentimes is a reason to get like ejected from an area. <laughs> Because if you're creating a site, uh, just for those that are wondering, you are kind of modifying the area around you to suit your needs for that site. You're probably going to clear a few trees. You're going to make a fire pit. You know what I mean? You're setting up 
what would be considered a permanent site. So, um, just back to the comments here. We have Scott joining us tonight. Thanks for joining us, Scott. Uh, he says, I've heard people offer to do work in exchange for camping privileges, like clearing brush or sorting out property or, you know, whatever. And that's another thing. You can go on to a lot of, you know, those online mediums and you can find those things. You can even take out a little ad in your local uh, classifieds or something like that if you're so inclined. Um, and Danny is saying another good point for right now, especially for us on the East Coast, a lot of the spots he wants to get to, even on these private lands, Right now, they're blocked from down trees from Fiona, which is throwing a big wrench into the people getting out there. You know what I mean? Because there is a lot of wood damage uh, here in Nova Scotia, for sure. And I know some of the other places around us have been trashed as well, like PEI, parts of Newfoundland, some of New Brunswick. And I know, like, just the ATV trails here. I've been getting the bike out, trying to do some day trips, get back into the rhythm of things. And the trails, it's hit and miss where you can get go, like, where you can go. So that's going to be another hurdle that's unfortunately going to affect people, at least in this neck of the woods this year. Yeah. As more people get out, people will bring their gas and electric chainsaws, their hand saws, their axes, and they'll clear a lot of these trails. But it is going to be a while before that's 100%, 100%, you know, for sure. It has its struggle. Um, but definitely something to keep in mind. Um so, yeah, so we said, like, government websites, find the rules and regulations, local forums and stuff. There's also some more formal apps that you can use. Backwoods Road Maps mm -hmm. up here in Canada. Gaia, I think, was another one I've used in the past. Polaris has an app called Ride Commander. A lot this of people here use Ride Commander. Sorry not to interject there, but I know that's very popular in the ATV community is Ride Commander. Yeah. And the beauty of this is it'll show you backwoods trails, usually on, on ground or free-use land. And it'll oftentimes mark camping areas that people have used. So, you know, if you're going out, the only downside to keep in mind with all this stuff is you do have to be ready to be flexible. Yes. Because you can get back there. And since there's no booking, you get there and show up. Somebody's already there. They're not going to move for you. And they may not be overly excited to see you park with them. So usually have a couple of plans, a few places you want to hit. And if you find one that's acceptable, stick with it. If you don't, keep looking. Um, there's a lot of good YouTubers that do this, and you can actually watch them. They'll show, they'll show you the ropes, right? I was watching um, Soft-Roading the West for quite a while. Soft road in the West. I don't know if I know that one. Um, just he before... Oops, oh, sorry. He was a guy who was driving a Subaru Forester before I bought mine. He's now using a Nissan Frontier, last I heard. Okay. Yeah, I actually now I do remember you mentioning him when you were looking into your Forester. Uh, before we get too far away from apps, I was just checking on my phone. Some hunting apps. Uh, yeah. I got one here. It's like the Nova Scotia Hunting Guide or something like that. It actually has some off the... Uh, some publicly listed camping sites. Uh, but what Ben said, or not Ben, what Steve mentioned over here is um, very often uh, sites that are posted and stuff like that, they kind of going along with Ben saying too, they could get overused. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes where these are publicly listed sites, you may be walking into a dirty area and stuff like that because the people before you may not be as due diligent as we hope that uh, you, our listeners, are when going into the woods. So things to be aware of, too. Don't get discouraged if you land on one and it's real bad. We've all had that experience. You blow into a site and it's just, it's kind of trashy and you're like, oh my gosh, what were the people before us thinking or how many people before us did it take to create this mess? And if you get into that, yeah, it's kind of a bummer. But uh, as being good outdoors people, always try and leave it better than when you got there. You know what I mean? So... Yeah, just kind of grit through it, tidy it up a bit, and then you'll have something nice. Unf the unfortunate part is next people in may make it just the same way, but that's a problem for future people. <laughs> so I've seen a, a, a thing is uh, if you're poor and you want nice stuff, you just have to put some work into it. And, and I don't 100% agree with that. You said like Being lazy is, is a privilege of the rich. They can just go buy something. 
yes, if you can afford to have like pay the top dollar and stay at some of the nicest campsites, and yes, you're going to go in and there's going to be wood in the fireplace. It's going to be perfectly spotless. There's going to be a garbage can really close. If that's the camping you're into, all the power to you. If you go into the wilderness, and I, I'm finding it here, I found it in Nova Scotia, I found it in Newfoundland, chances are some ignorant person, and it, they are ignorant, I don't get me wrong, no holes barred right here on this one, will have left garbage. There's garbage there. everywhere. Like, literally everywhere. I've been to islands that have no people living on them, because generally they're too small, you know what I mean? And they'll still be full yeah. of garbage. And not just stuff that's washed up on the shore. In the center of these islands, there will be garbage because people have been there and they just left their trash. Yeah. And it's ridiculous. And it's it's disappointing. It's upsetting. And there's not time you can do it better. Clean it up as best you can. And, uh, you know, if everyone took that attitude, then it wouldn't take long. These sites would be spotless. It would be much better, right? Um, unfortunately, I say one in ten actually clean up. And those people can't clean up from the 10 previous completely so it does progressively get worse unless somebody puts a concerted effort to clean it up King. danny just threw something at us he said a little off topic but look up the river king truck camper when we have time he figures we uh will like it so i'm just pulling up a picture off it there oh yeah but yeah it's human nature for whatever reason human nature is that oh rover king sorry my bad um laziness you know what i mean I, I guess that's the only real reason people do this it's, it's i, well, I don't had, understand it, it myself <laughs> they had the strength and, and and room to bring it in and theoretically their load was lighter going out unless they they forged like an awful lot of food they they just couldn't bring it all back and their garbage which at which point i have even more issues with it <laughs> Yeah, there's no excuse. There's absolutely no excuse. So, I mean, those are some of the big things that I, I originally wanted to get hit you with. But there's a few other things. Like, technically, and this is a dangerous one, but one that can be used. Technically, in most of Canada, you can't own anything below the high water mark. Yeah. And uh, we've made this joke before uh there's a feller not too far from where ben used to live uh and not far from where i am he was coming through at night wasn't used to the area set up his tent and stuff uh made a kind of a slight note that it seemed salty where he was but didn't think much of it thought it was close to the water sea breeze woke up <laughs> basically floating down the shubenacadie river so be cautious with that one as ben said but Again, there is some land that's really not owned. It's, it's a bit of a no, no man's land. And that area is oftentimes can be used. Just be really careful to be understanding of the tides or, or water currents in those particular areas. Areas that are, tend to flood and stuff like that, that are sometimes not really overly regulated. And that's an interesting place to camp. Just be really careful of it. Um, you mentioned some small islands and stuff. Some of it isn't really ownable. Like, it's just not... It's not practical. big enough. And these are kind of the things I find is, like, even off the coast of the shore here, if you go out probably less than a kilometer, you're going to get islands that are maybe, you know, five, six hundred meters across. Great for going on and having a quick camp, but you can't settle a home on there. You know what I mean? But these are places that are pretty good to hit because generally they're far enough out that nobody really minds you're out there because you're not hurting anything. Uh, it's pretty hard for fire to get away from you because you're surrounded by water. The only hookup is you kind of need a boat or access to a boat. Yeah. Um... That being said, I have heard of people, um, I think McNabb's Island, you could camp on that. Was, right? Not sure. Yeah. Um, and Steve's mentioning here, we kind of uh, hinted towards it, but he said there's a lot of camping groups on Facebook. So, for instance, here, there's like camping in Nova Scotia, winter camping in Nova Scotia, depending on what you're up to. And I'm a part of some of these groups. And yeah, they'll, they'll tell you, like, if you go on there and you're, I'm in this area, can anybody recommend a spot where I can go stay for a few nights that doesn't cost anything? Most of these people are great to throw in there. They'll even start asking you, what's your skill level? Are you looking for something you can drive into? Do you want to hike into it? And you'll get some options pretty quick. Yeah. 
Another option, it's a bit more of a difficult one, is if you can locate the owner of land, especially large woodlots and stuff, sometimes if you're you're just civil enough and polite enough when you ask, they will give you permission to camp on their land. So it isn't an impossibility. Um, sometimes they're happy to share it. Sometimes they might ask a small favor in return. Like you said, some people may ask you to clear a bit of brush, you can stay there, or they may just request that you don't do certain things while you're there, which, you know, oftentimes is reasonable things. Please don't have fires, or please don't tear down certain trees, or, you know, please stay in a certain area because we're, we're doing something in the other area and we just don't want to disturb each other. And I was going to say, on this note, funny enough, I have approached companies that own land. Uh, a lot of times these companies will lease land and they pay stumpage on it. If you know the companies, there's a chance, and I'm not going to name names because I don't want companies to get bombarded. Um, but in the past, I've approached companies and said, look, I want to go do some camping here. And they've come back to me knowing that I had a background in forestry saying, yep, that's fine. No fires, no tree destruction, you know, stuff like that. And we hammer out the fine details there. And you literally have to ask those things. Don't go in assuming you can make a fire. Don't go in assuming you can take down the odd tree. Literally ask what you can do. Uh, and after you hammer out the details, the only thing they asked me was they really wanted to know, you know, they held the map out. I showed them where I wanted to go. And they said, that's great. Can you tell us what it's like back there? And what they meant was, is it still wet? Is it boggy? Because they hadn't been back there yet. And instead of hiring somebody to come in and go and scout that land, sometimes they're willing just to let you do it for free. Uh, as long as you report that stuff back, they may want some photos. I know I've gone in and done tree identification and some WAP monitoring and stuff like that. But like we've said, it's trading something for a camping stay and it just happened to work out. Um, and don't be scared to ask these places. Don't be ignorant about it and don't be pestering about it. But shoot an email off. The worst case, they're just not going to come back and say anything. Uh, next to that, they may just come back and say no thank you. You know what I mean? But as Ben said, be civil and be respectful. If they say no, accept it as what it is and move on. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, the thing is, even if they say no today, doesn't mean they would won't say yes later. But if you burn that bridge and they 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 may record your name and say don't ever let this person do it. But they may have a legit reason they're saying no, or they may you know maybe they're just worried about liability at this time of the year or something. So you know, it, it wouldn't hurt to just be polite and say like if you ever change your mind or if there's somewhere else you would would allow, they may come back to you. Um, you probably won't be high priority. Most businesses aren't looking to do it actively, but it means if you reach out again, maybe they'll... they'll or they'll keep your information on file to a time when it may change. I've had that yeah. happen before too. Uh, and sometimes, granted, they never get back to you, but other times you may get the odd phone call going, you know, hey, we still got this property out there. Were you still looking to get back there and do a tour, or like do some camping? We'd love you to have to go out uh, as long as you would do, you know, XYZ for us or whatever. So that's definitely an option. So what we're kind of getting at here, and we said it is like, find out the rules and regulations, find out if you can, who owns certain land. Uh, there is a few ways to do that. Uh, we won't go into that here because I think it varies too much from area to area, but there are ways to figure out who owns land. And if you can, that's very useful for that. Um, if nothing else, get yourself a good real estate buddy. Um, I highly recommend. <laughs> <laughs> um lawyers can do it too by the way uh if you know who you're talking to uh but yeah um so i do have one last method that i've used in the past um and this is kind of an advanced method this is not going to be for anybody and it's going to be tailored a little bit towards nova scotia but i assume other places have similar items if you find land that you would like to try and do some camping on, and when I'm starting to look for an area, a lot of times I'll use Google Maps and just look at a top down and find somewhere that's far enough from everything that makes me happy or it has something in the area that I want to go see. And then we have a program here in Nova Scotia, which is called Property Online. There is a fee associated with this service. So depending, 
Uh, you may not be interested in this method. You may be interested in this method, and the fee varies depending on what you want to do. But what this service lets you do, essentially, is it'll bring up a map. You can click on the whatever plot of land it is where you want it to go camping, and it kind of has the boundary lines on it, but then it'll tell you who owns that land. Because it is kind of hard if you're just wandering through the woods and you're like, hmm, I wonder who owns this property. It's not like it's posted on the boundaries, and I get this question a lot, is how do I find out who owns this piece of land so I can find out how to I can stay on it or if it's possible. That was something I used to use a lot in the past. Uh, since the prices has gone up on property online, I can no longer afford it, so it's not something that I currently do because it's something like three to $500 a year now depending on what you want to do with it for, uh, anyway, uh, like I said, out of my realm, but. So if you take your five closest, 500 closest friends, you can split that. <laughs> and this is the thing. Like there, there is ways, there is other services to this. I'm sure the real estate friend that's in the chat knows, uh, about property online because a lot of realtors will have access to property online. So they can search for, um, you know, when they're selling buildings and stuff like that, they can look at past offers. More importantly, it usually has the survey pin locations and stuff like that. Uh, when I work for natural resources, that's why we had access to it. A lot of times you may have to go out, survey some property and you'd have to know where the pins are. So you can usually plot those out on GIS and then take it out with your surveying equipment and you can figure out what the actual parcel size was. Right. But, um, don't underestimate just the information side of it. Generally, I say information is cheap. In this case, it's pretty expensive, but it's still information nonetheless. So that being said, though, if you do use, say, Google Maps and a few other methods to find areas that you'd be interested in camping, and it's, it's definitely a possibility, <clears throat> there is a option that's we won't recommend, but we will mention because people will do it, and that's what's called stealth camping. And stealth camping is a subject that we, I think we've briefly talked about before, and we may bring it up again um, as a whole show. But if, if that's something you guys are interested in, we definitely can. We'd like to hear your thoughts on it. But to briefly describe it, this is very much a leave no trace camping method, if done correctly. And when it's done, you go camping somewhere in such a way that nobody will ever know you were there while you're there or after you leave. So often used on um, more public lands, some private lands, um, sometimes done even within communities, like in, in small parks and stuff. Um, I watched one YouTube episode, and I'm thinking of it. There is like a larger roundabout mm. with a tree cluster in the middle of it, and buddy, and this is like in the middle of a city. And yeah. Buddy managed to stealth camp in that. And he used some tricks. And like I said, we're not going to recommend this one because there is that possibility of legality. Uh, sometimes it's like as long as it's land you can normally camp on, stealth camping may just be the way you like to do it because it's next to a walking trail or whatever. You don't want people coming to, yeah. excuse me, intrude on your camping area. However, there is another group out there that basically they just pick an area and they go camping and they don't tell anyone and... It is what it is, you know what I mean? The downside, and I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about it, that are, are definite possibilities, and these are why I haven't done much of it, if any. Um, a, you can be kicked out. Like, straight up, someone could find you, and they could kick you out. B, if certain areas, you may actually put yourself at risk of a confrontation, which may or may not escalate to something else. You may lose some of your gear as a result of this. Uh, you could have to deal with police or other officials, um, all of which really can make camping not that fun. The other thing, too, is generally for most people who do this, it is very much a do it as quiet and as quick as possible. Most guys do it. They set up after dark and they're out of there before light. Um, so if you're looking for a relaxing, enjoying time, this is not necessarily it. You're looking to cover a large amount of large areas quickly. This may be a method you would use, anyways. Even if it's a legal place to park, where you you're walking along, you have a very lightweight kit that doesn't attract attention. You're going to set up, get your nap, and then get the hell out of there and keep on moving. So, 
through hikers may use this method. Not normally. They usually have set areas that they do their camping, but through hikers may use similar methods, especially if their planned route gets disturbed and they have to camp outside of that. And I'm, so just to recap, we've talked about uh, a lot of things here, I guess. Uh, I won't recap yeah. because there's a lot of them there. But um, we have talked about a lot of things. I'm just trying to think if there's anything else we're missing. Um, I don't know. Those are all the methods I kind of use. The, 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 like I said, the way I find a spot, just for uh, instance, and then we'll see what, how Ben does his thing. I go on Google Maps. I find an area that seems to be good and far away from everything. I try to find out if it's public land or crown land. In our instance, if it's crown land, I know I'm good. And uh, then I start trying to figure out the roads and stuff in there. And these are things to think about when you are looking at a place to camp. What is your experience level? What is your fitness level? What kind of a challenge are you looking for? Uh, do you want to drive into your site? Do you want to hike into your site? Do you want scenery? You may find a place on a map that looks great. And then you're going to realize as you get there that it is a bog or the the bodies of water that you're looking for are now gone and which has happened in my instance uh or that there is now new bodies of water because for whatever reason maybe they created a new waterway or you know uh, a lake flooded or whatever the case may be as ben has said earlier you have to be willing to adapt so the best you can hope for in that instance is you get a general understanding what the area is and try to deal with it when you get there. So you find your picture, you find out who owns it, you got to find out if you got to ask or if you can just go in. But then once you get in there, be adaptable. So what about you, Ben? Um, How do you find a place? Or I know it's a little trickier right now. How? What was your method? Well, no, I'll, I'll tell you the method I've been using lately. And I've been using Backroads Maps. I've been using... Um, the ride commander i've been going on using google maps to kind of site out areas i've been talking to locals i am no longer in an area where i consider myself a local but i'm getting there and so talking to people finding what they do where they go it takes some time um one of the methods and this is something else i think we've talked about this before i'll bring it up here too is i put myself out there um so I have literally put ads in Facebook looking for people to camp with, looking for people to discuss this stuff with. And, you know, I'll meet up with people. I'll, I'll make arrangements. I'll go and I'll, I'll meet with a complete stranger and go for a ride or go for a chat, meet up for coffee, talk to them. What's your methods? Where do you go? What are you into? And, you know, it doesn't take long and they're pulling maps out and they're showing you, oh, look, I go here and this is a really good spot. And, you really got to try this and maybe we'll do this next week. I'll show you something. It works. Uh, these are methods that work well. Um, I do a lot of recce. Um, so, and this is one of the reasons it's been taking me a while. Before I go and plan to do a camp trip, usually I'll try to hit that area once or twice without the camp gear mm -hmm. with the intent to just see it, get an idea. What is the environment like? Because the way it looks on Google Maps from, you know, 100 miles up, and then when you get there and you're like, oh, that's, that's rough. Like I've been to places and I'm like the ground is, is made of shale. Like it's, it's razor. It's going to cut my gear apart. I, I don't want to walk across that. And I've gone to other places like, wow, like it looked more barren on Google earth, but you get there and it's, it's better treed. The ground is better than you kind of expect. So get that sort of information. Um, so yeah. It's a process, but in the end, it's really worth it um, by far, right? Um, and you said something there that's actually pretty important information. Um, it's always good to scout an area. Don't just show up ready to go, and I'm guilty of this, just showing up ready to go and saying, oh, I'll roll with it and see what happens. And there's been some times I've said some pretty rough nights. You know what I mean? You also lost the lake one time. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Uh, but all joking aside, I've had some pretty rough nights, and I've had nights where it was incampable or on-campable, yeah. whatever the word is, and I've had to sleep in, like, the bed of the truck or in the backseat of the the uh, SUV that I had at the time or whatever the case may be, and that's the reality as well, and, and that might be another way for you to camp. 
Um, and I have recommended this to people before too, is if you have an SUV, get yourself one of those little air mattresses that usually they got like the wheel well cutouts in them. You lay your back seats down and you go to bed there because there's a lot of places you can park a car overnight where you can't set up a tent. You know what I mean? Uh, it may not, oops, sorry. Like Walmart. (laughs) I mean, it may not be as glamorous camping, uh, but I mean, in PEI, for instance, and I'm not recommending people do this without teching with the local walls and regulations and stuff, but generally you can park overnight and it's not too much of a problem down logging roads and stuff like that. Although you're not allowed to go camping in these areas, you may be able to, you know, there might be something there and I don't know for sure. So please look, um, you could do like tailgate camping, which is what we call it or Hollywood camping, whatever you want to call it and just stay out of your vehicle. You may never, you know, weave the road for where you're sleeping. You may not be able to have a fire pit and stuff like that, but you could crash there for the night. Then just do a day hike in. You're still out there. You're still seeing stuff. But then you can come back to your vehicle and maybe you crash there for the night and then you drive somewhere else and you do that for a couple days. I've had adventures like that and I've really enjoyed them. You know what I mean? Oh, man. So a big thing in Newfoundland growing up was gravel pit camping and i think it's still a big thing there are set lots off the side of the road where people go and camp and i mean it sometimes it looks like a cool place or it's really close to a stream or something but other places i looked at why would anyone camp there but it's it's a thing they do right people drive up they they camp out of their vehicle seven or eight other people show up there's usually a few cases of beer going around good time was had by all uh, you know it's an option uh in nova scotia i started using the ride command and i found there's a ton of trails that are just not well marked on regular maps and you get back there and it gets into the crown land like cloud lake wilderness area and uh the bowland lands and stuff like that there's tons of areas same thing here in bc uh right in southern mainland it's not as plentiful but as you get into the mountains and go up north it just blossoms up there for that stuff right so so to answer a couple questions you got there, Chris, we did mention a few apps there. We talked things about like the Ride Commander. Uh, uh, what was the other one you had said there? The Gaia. Gaia is one that's really popular with guys in the states, but there's also um, let's see if I can pull some of these up. All Trails actually is a pretty good one. Uh, All Trails is good. Uh, the ATV Trails in Nova Scotia has some sites on it. One of my hunting apps. I think it's called literally Hunt Nova Scotia. It's got some, you know, uh, publicly listed camping areas in them or places where you can pop a tent up. <clears throat> Backwoods Road Maps, I think is, is what it's called. BRMB Maps. Look that one up. It is subscription-based for a lot of the extra features. Uh, I was paying for it. I stopped because I had some issues. Now I'm paying for it again. Um, it It's really popular here in B.C., and I know I, I used Nova Scotia too, uh, but it lists a lot of the camping sites, uh, recreational camping sites. And you can zoom in. You can set the layers to the type of vehicles you're driving. So you can say, okay, I want to drive an ATV or a motorcycle or an SUV or a big RV. And it'll kind of tell you where you can expect to get and where you can't. Um, and as Steve said, Backwoods also does paper maps. And paper maps are never a bad idea if you can get a copy off them. Simply because you never know if your phone's going to die or anything like that, too. And te- generally, your paper maps, they're going to be more up-to-date for the roads, at least. And the topographical stuff, like uh, heights and elevations. Maybe not so much with the forestry and things. But um, And to answer your other question, the gravel pit camping... Uh, is that like camping on the side of the road in the gravel or is there a hidden meaning behind it? I know for here we had something that was very similar. Literally yeah. gravel pits were everywhere in Nova Scotia, but they're not like massive gravel pits that companies own. They're just little gravel pits. They're basically big open areas of gravel where you can jam 18 to 40 vehicles and potentially have a little sleep out. No, exactly <laughs> what they were. Usually pull out the side of the road, um, varying anywhere from a few feet off the highway to a few hundred feet and uh no real facilities like everything is you have to you know bring a bucket type deal uh but, but yeah um it's an option my uh my father's parents did a ton of it they used to travel around in a little converted uh full-size van and uh they camped like that a lot i knew a lot of people who did um it wasn't as appealing to me, um, but 
that being said, you know, to each their own, right? Um, I've also camped rivers, and you can do that, right? I mean, sometimes with those things, you may or may not know that you're technically on someone's land, right? You'll go down the river. There's nothing obvious. And in um, Nova Scotia, you can't own so many feet off the high water line. So whatever the highest yeah. water line is for that area, it's so many feet back from that is technically always public land. I can't remember how many feet it is. I'm a little rusty on this. But uh, as long as you don't stray too far off, generally most people aren't going to give you too hard of a time. You can't technically block access to rivers for fishing and stuff like that. So if you have a fishing license, you have reason to access the river. Um, and if it's dark, <laughs> you don't feel like it's safe to get back to... And that's what I was going to say. Don't abuse the system, but if it is dark and it's not safe, most people aren't going to bother you. If you just hunker down, have a nap, and then move on about your business, and you didn't really destroy anything. Yeah, I think I think these are the big things we want to get out here. If you're going to backwoods camp, especially in non-registered, you know, not, not campground camps, leave no trace. Clean up after yourself. Um, be a good steward of the woods. Uh, because if people are doing that and they're doing it well, nobody's really going to complain. It's when people damage and destroy things. And this is why a lot of landowners don't want people camping on their land. Not that they're upset that people are using land in a very reasonable way. It's because they went down there to use it and they were rude, ignorant. They were damaging things. They were leaving a mess. And then they're like, I don't want to deal with that. So And it's usually they, they the garbage. It is usually nine times out of ten the garbage people leave behind. It's not the fire pit. It's usually not even the odd tree that gets knocked down if it's dead or something like that. Because you're doing a favor. You're cleaning stuff up. You're cleaning dead trees up sometimes. Some people are touchy about that. But it is the amount of garbage that gets left behind. And that is the big thing. If nothing else, folks, take your garbage out of the woods. And that includes your orange peels, your apple peels, your human waste if you can. If you can't, bury it. Everything is garbage. If it wasn't there when you came in, it shouldn't be there when you leave. Yeah. Um, that's, that is the big thing. That is why people don't like to see it. And honestly, if we, we don't take care of what we have, then the government will come in and make more rules. Landowners will get more restrictive. They'll put up the no trespassing signs. They will call the police to get you moved off the land because they don't want to deal with the cleanup after you leave. And... I fully understand why they're like that. And it's an unfortunate reality is that a few people have ruined it for a lot of us. Um, but it's been, it's, it's unfortunately probably more than not um, the ones that go in that leave the messes and stuff. And that's unfortunate. Um, and you see it even in our parks, in our cleaned parks, our publicly funded staffed parks you can't you go in you'll find dirt and 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 crap in around the campsites poked in the corners you know people don't you know they're not good stewards of the land in general a lot of people are are dirty dirty things <laughs> so one quick story just because there's a comments going on over here and it's a funny story so why not so we have uh they were talking about it's not really as easy to pop in private land uh in the u.s especially the south so this once upon a time i was down towards st petersburg in florida and i was just wandering through the woods doing my thing and somehow i ended up on the edge of an orange grove i did not understand that people are very very touchy about their orange groves <laughs> down in this area so I'm not even on their property. I'm just next to it and I'm doing my thing, setting up, thinking I'm going to have a good time. And all of a sudden there's literally security there, armed security saying, like, you got to go. So I understand what they're talking about. And I mean, it, they were pretty good about it. I had to leave. Don't get me wrong, but they didn't try to shoot me or any of that stuff. But they were very insistent that I was going to leave because apparently people steal oranges. I, I didn't know this was a thing, but it is common for people to raid orange groves and take enough product that it hurts their sales. So they regularly patrol these things. That's something as a Canadian I had never really realized was a thing. 
But uh, I understand your guys' point, uh, Chris, and stuff like that. Like, I, I guess it is a little trickier for the private land in the States, uh, simply because you may have to worry about that a little more. Here in Canada, we are not allowed to carry any kind of a firearm for self-defense. I mean, we're really not allowed to carry anything for self-defense. So you don't usually have to worry so much about waking up with somebody with some kind of weapon. So I get that. I, I've been shot at in Canada. I have been shot at in Canada, but not by camping. <laughs> we, we, uh, my cousin, I still haven't forgiven him for this, asked me one time if I liked apples, and I'm like, yeah, sure, I like apples. No, I don't. I don't overly like apples. They're okay, but, you know, it's not a favorite of mine. So they bring me down this road, they bring me into the woods, and they, there's this tree. And they start picking the apples off of them. I'm sticking some in the pockets. And, okay, we're going to go somewhere and have a few apples. Next thing you know, this golden square of light opened up next to the tree. And it was somebody's house. Like, we were in someone's backyard. I couldn't even see the house. It wasn't until you opened the door. <laughs> and, all I could see. and he come, comes out. You can see the silhouette. And he's got a shotgun in his hands. And he's yelling at us. And we take off. We're like, run! What the hell is going on? So I'm running through the woods. And yeah, there was a there was a bullet shot. <laughs> Never for camping or anything like that. Uh, in my natural resources days, I've entered areas uh, and have left areas under fire, uh, going in to investigate fires and stuff like that. Like gone in to investigate a fire that they should not have been burning and left because of fire, somebody shooting a gun to make us leave. But that that's about it, honestly. So, out of curiosity, and, and you don't have to answer this, but were charges laid for that? Yes. Okay. That's all I want to know. Wonder did they ever get away with it? Cause, cause it I highly was... recommend you do not shoot at people. Like I, I, I can't emphasize that enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was an interesting time. Uh, it's a story for another day, potentially not on the podcast, but you and I will have a few adult beverages yeah. and I'll tell you about it sometime. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so those, that's the sort of the thing. Do realize if you're doing this type of camping, you, you must be self-sufficient. Uh, take the right gear. Plan for different situations. I recommend having a couple of sleeping options type deal. Like, you know, you may be able to hammock, you may be able to tent, you know, if you're taking a hammock, just know that maybe you're going to sleep under the, 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 the tarp. Um, it might not hurt to throw a small air mattress or something in there to give you that extra option. Um, you know, be prepared to not be able to stay at your first sight, your first thought, be prepared to be flexible in your thoughts. The beauty of it is this is a great type of camping, and you never know what the experience is going to be like. Um, but it's usually pretty positive. Just don't, also don't get down if it doesn't go exactly as you had planned. If you're somebody who's so OCD that you need to, you know, you need to camp at the place you intend it to when you left, and you have to, if everything has to be just so, this may not be the method for you. Um, is that fair? I think that's fair. Um, and I guess the only thing I would add in on that is be creative. Don't think that the limiting factors or, you know, the quote-unquote limiting factors that people say are going to limit you from being able to go camping, such as, oh, there's nowhere to camp and, oh, you need all this gear. It's Do some outside-of-the-box thinking and you'd be surprised what you can come up with. If there's a will, there's a way. Yes. Generally. Yeah. I mean... Me and you have camped in some pretty neat spots in the past. We've used these methods. Yeah. Um, right. Both together and separate. Um, and there's been spots that I've, I've scouted out that I wanted to camp and just never got back to do. And, uh, you know, I have more places I'd like to camp than I have likelihood of, of finding them again and doing it. But that's, that's cool. It's nice to know you have those backups, right? Exactly. But, um... Yeah, I think that's probably a good a place as any to end it tonight. We could talk more, but I think we'll be drifting off subject even more than normal. So, um, yeah, just a couple more things from the comments, because they've been said. Might as well say them here. 
Uh, Chris Lovelace, I wish there was a disclaimer for anyone going camping. Something will always go wrong. But that's part of the adventure. Much like what Steve said, that's some of the appeal. You know what I mean? You expect some challenges and be prepared to rise above them. Once you kind of catch the knack of it, it's a lot of fun to see what can, you know, go wrong, quote unquote, and how you're going to handle it. Uh, but always have that backup plan and be safety minded. Uh, we want you folks out there to be safe. We always want you to come home. Uh, I'm sure your families and stuff want you to come home. So just don't go to the point where you're going to be endangering yourself. But push yourself a little bit. Maybe go outside your comfort zone, like Ben said. Maybe uh, you start chatting on some Facebook groups and things that you never thought you would before. Maybe you go camping with uh, a group that you've never gone camping with before, but you know some of the people in it. I mean, be adventurous. That's what it's all about. It's all about the adventure. 100%. I think we've always said, we've always left with get out there and have fun. Let us know how it goes. I think this one is especially a good statement to go with that, right? Like, it is, you know, that is the point of this particular episode. Get out there. Have fun. Don't get trapped in thinking there's only one way to camp, one way to do things. There's a lot of ways to get out there. Um, and that flexibility you mentioned is is key. You know, be flexible. Be open-minded to some different ideas. And uh, you will be pleasantly surprised at how good it can actually be. Um, there's the only limit of how you can get out there is your own mind. There are people I have seen, I've started setting up bicycle. You can use a bicycle to get it. Yeah. Well, like I said, I almost said his name. Uh, the individual you we were talking about, that's how they did their thing. They took buses that had the bus racks on the front they would take the bus to where they need to go they'd jump on their pedal bike they'd go into the woods they would come out on monday when buses started running again and they would hop back in and be back home it's possible you can do it yeah uh i had i had picked up one of those i picked up that kids but the the trailer you put the kids in mm -hmm. hooks to the back of your bicycle i had picked up one of those and uh I think I threw it out in Nova Scotia, but I was going to keep it or I gave it to someone. I don't remember what happened to it. Uh, but I was going to convert that and use that for camping. And I really thought about that as an option B up here was to get, I was going to get one of those electric bikes because, I mean, the gas power ones are cool, but the electrical ones, you can get the fat tires on them and all that. And I had really thought as plan B as like an alternative way to get out there and do it was to do that. That was a, an idea I had. So I think maybe just throwing this out there before we take off, maybe an, an idea for an episode is different means of transportation. I'm game with that. If everybody else is game with that, we can talk about anything, Ben. That's the beauty <laughs> of this. <laughs> we definitely can because we, we own the, the podcast. We can do anything we want. It's great being <laughs> our own bosses. <laughs> Yeah. I, oh, uh, Danny, I did check out that Rover King. Uh, that thing is awesome. Once we're done the episode here, I'm sure Ben and I are going to chat a little bit about it. But, um, yeah, that's it for me. Have a good night, folks. Get out there. Have fun. Play safe. Come back. Tell us about it because we'll love to hear about it. Night, everybody. Yeah.